on this episode of the Principal Insights Podcast. We will discuss the specific practices that we are using to build relational trust, teacher self-efficacy, and teacher collective efficacy this year. We will begin with a review of our theory of action and then outline intentional actions that we have taken to increase trust in the building, as well as those important perceptions of efficacy individually and as a group. Thank you for listening to this fourth episode of the Principal Insights Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Principal Insights Podcast. I'm Dr. Janet Parlato, Principal of Watertown High School in Watertown, Connecticut. Today we will discuss how we are implementing actionable steps in support of our school's theory of action. Our theory of action is founded on the concept that authentic teacher engagement will lead to increased student engagement. We believe that authentic teacher engagement created and inspired by the cultural conditions within the school yields increased teacher creativity, motivation to learn, and a sense of belonging among the school staff. The central question, of course, is how do we get there? How do school leaders best engage teachers in the challenging, rewarding, energizing, exhausting work of teaching and learning? The first part of our theory of action answers these questions by focusing upon the principles of relational trust. The concept of relational trust in schools has been written about extensively by researchers Tony Breich and Barbara Schneider. Breich and Schneider describe relational trust as the connective tissue that holds improving schools together. We believe that relational trust is the cornerstone of our efforts toward increased teacher engagement. The work of Tony Breich and Barbara Schneider includes several fundamental elements of relational trust. And through our experiences in school, we added two more. Breich and Schneider explain that relational trust grows from teachers' perceptions of the leader's competence and perceptions of the leader's character. Competence, of course, is skill in one's position including dealing with challenges in a timely manner and asking the right questions at the right times. Character involves the leader's integrity, clear sense of right and wrong, and honesty. Given the fragmentation of leadership experienced by most of the teachers in our school over the past several years, we extended Breichen Schneider's concept of relational trust to include teachers' perceptions of leaders' consistency and teachers' perceptions of the leader's commitment. There is a strong connection between perceptions of consistency and organizational stability. In our view, relational trust requires an atmosphere of reliability and dependability, both of which emanate from the leader's consistency of approach and consistency of actions. In a school with a history of leadership turnover, teachers must perceive the leader's commitment to the organization. Commitment, of course, is not the only remaining is not only remaining in the leadership permission position at the same location, but also following through, showing up and aligning one's words and promises with one's actions every time. Finally, we believe that relational trust is increased through teachers' perceptions of the leader's compassion. Teaching and learning during the pandemic has required tremendous flexibility and care from all of us. And the understanding and compassion that we show demonstrates to teachers that we can be trusted to support their work and efforts during these challenging times. Wisconsin Superintendent Dr. Joe Sanfilippo has written that 
culture is built in 30 second increments. It is the demonstrations of competence, character, consistency, commitment, and compassion infused within those 30 second increments where a flourishing school culture is created. From relational trust comes feelings of efficacy or agency. Let's begin with self-efficacy, the belief that I, as an individual practitioner, can make intentional moves and decisions that will impact students' growth positively. When the school's actions are anchored in goals, purpose, and direction, educators feel that decisions make sense and aren't arbitrary. Self-efficacy also comes from connections among colleagues in the school. If I feel that my fellow educators are dependable and driven by the goals and direction of the school, then my own sense of ability increases. Finally, self-efficacy comes from the belief that my work has impact and that it is meaningful. The more that I perceive my work, that my work makes an authentic difference for students, the more efficacy I experience. Another type of efficacy is collective efficacy, the belief that the group maintains that they, through their joint efforts, can make a difference in the lives of students in the school. According to researcher John Hattie, collective efficacy in a school has the strongest impact upon student achievement, more so than any other instructional strategy, initiative, or practice. It is the mindset of educators to trust in each other that their collective efforts will lead to student growth with the research showing that this mindset even overcomes the influences of socioeconomic variables or family challenges. So how can we begin to get there, to build teachers' relational trust in the organization and to increase their sense of self and collective efficacy? We decided to continue with our mantra of slow and steady wins the race and start small with two areas that eventually can be scaled to huge impact teacher-led and student-led conferencing across the content areas, and a renewed focus on more robust and intentional professional learning communities, what we call PLCs. We chose to emphasize teacher and student conferencing for several reasons. It is a strategy that applies across subject areas and can be utilized for a wide variety of tasks. It helps build students' conversational skills and specific academic vocabulary, and most importantly, it builds students and teachers' sense of efficacy and agency. Efficacy is built on successful experiences and creating capacity for conferencing, beginning with a specific conferencing protocol, help to increase teachers' and students' comfort level with participating in a conference. The conferencing template, which is referenced in the show notes, which you will see is for a product-based conference, is organized in the following ways. Students' overall perception of progress or of the final product with such questions as, let's talk about what you brought today, what do we have in front of us, and what do you think about your work here overall? The next category is students' perception of the overall strengths of the work with such questions as, what do you think is the best part of what you did here? Why do you think that? What did you do best? Why do you think that? What part of this are you most proud of and why? The next category of conferencing, students' perceptions of overall areas of challenge or struggle with such questions as what was the hardest part of doing this task, why? If you could change any part of what you did here, what would it be and why? And then some questions about process. What steps did you follow to get to this point in the task or to complete the task as a whole? 
What were some of the most important things you learned while doing this task? And what did you discover, learn, or figure out about yourself as a learner as a result of doing this task? And then finally, the last categories are next steps and needs with such questions as what specific next steps will you follow to move forward with this task? And what do you need from me or in general in order to move forward with, forward with this task? The intent of these structured questions is to build students' reflective and analytical muscles within the context of their own work, to plan ahead for the improvement of their work in relation to specific learning targets, and to engage in discourse with the teacher about their progress, strengths, and areas of need. Again, a major objective is to build the self-efficacy of the teacher, who at this time is leading the conferences, and the efficacy of students as they engage in these conversations. Soon we will shift our professional learning to student-led conferences, which will continue to increase students' self of efficacy and teachers' abilities to facilitate a conversation rather than to simply serve as its leader. Another area of focus for us this year, which emphasizes the growth of teachers' collective efficacy is reviewing and revising professional learning community structures so that they are more focused upon instructional improvement and subsequent impact on student learning. Working in professional learning communities, or PLCs, provides a direct route to increasing teachers' sense of collective efficacy, especially when we provide professional learning to teachers about what characterizes an effective PLC and then creating the instructional scaffold, which focuses upon building those PLC participation skills. We began last year by explicitly connecting PLCs to the concept of collective efficacy. We also have had PLC time built into the daily schedule for all teachers for the past several years. We started with asking teachers to brainstorm activities that they felt were valuable to take place during a PLC. From this large list, we asked teachers to then prioritize which activities were most valuable in their view from the entire list generated by the faculty. After tallying these results, we created a grid of eight activities that will guide each PLC's work for the first half of the year. Not surprisingly, the majority of these PLC activities have to do with tasks or demonstrations of learning, such as reviewing student work in response to a given task, connecting tasks to specific learning targets, revising or creating tasks to include more student choices or showcasing student voice. Once the grid of eight guiding tasks was completed, we looked at a rubric that provided characteristics of well-functioning PLCs. This rubric is linked in the show notes. From this rubric, in each PLC, we asked the question, what do we need to get to optimum PLC performance? The needs that teachers identified now serve as the instructional scaffold of professional learning and an accounting of curricular needs that will build PLC functioning over time. Department chairs have be begun sketching out how they will use PLC time with the eight guiding tasks for assistance, and school administrators will continue to develop lessons to deliver in each PLC from the list of needs that teachers have identified. A question that will continue to build upon the work of each PLC is, what is or what will be the impact of today's collaboration? This question provides each PLC meeting with purpose and drives home the point that the fundamental purpose of the work of meeting is instructional improvement and growth.
Today's episode of the Principal Insights Podcast discuss specific ways that we have been building both self and collective efficacy through the use of student conferencing, which develops both the teacher's and student's sense of their own efficacy, and through the revitalization and restructuring of professional learning community meetings, which helps to develop teachers' sense of impact on student learning and growth through their actions as a whole group of educators. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Principal Insights Podcast. Keep on doing your good work.